man. We teach that man was created in the image of God. Mankind was created in order that he would glorify God and enjoy him forever. Many people, taking a pause there, I'm going to try not to do this as much as possible. Many people look for their purpose in life, right? They, they think that they're just a floaty, if you watch the movie Forrest Gump. Have any of you ever seen Forrest Gump? Uh, uh, yeah, we, we've all seen Forrest Gump. And at the very end, he's speaking to Jenna, and he says, Maybe, maybe I had to do it. I had to do it. I could not do it. Maybe we're floating all accidental like on a breeze. You know, you know that line? And then every secular humanist in the whole planet goes, oh, so philosophical, right? Well, I can promise you that we are not floating all accidental like on a breeze, like a little white feather that's stuck in a book. There is a sovereign God who is in control, and there are, there are no accidents. There are no accidents, okay? We have been created in the image of God, and many individuals will take something like what's said in Forrest Gump, and they'll say, it's all accidental. We don't have a purpose. Therefore, just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. When in actuality, we have been created with a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What a wonderful purpose that is. We have been created to worship God and to know him. What a joy that is. Okay. Adam was the first man created by God for the, from the dust of the earth. He was created free of sin, with a rational nature, intelligence, and moral responsibility to God. We teach that when Adam, as the head of all mankind disobeyed the command of God, mankind fell out of fellowship with God. That is a very important sentence. As a result of Adam's disobedience, man incurred not only physical death, but spiritual death. The wrath of God now abides on all men born after Adam. We have inherited Adam's sin. This is the doctrine of original sin, okay? So the blank there is, but spiritual death. Okay, let's be clear about this. How dead is dead? There's two things I want to point out. When Adam fell in sin, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, did they die? Yeah, oh, did they? Because if I recall, Adam was still breathing. Instantaneously, God showered grace upon Adam and Eve. They didn't die until many years later, but yet their eyes were open, but something did die. What died? What? No, no. What? Go. Yep. What was it? The clothing. Well, the clothing didn't die, but the animals died to provide the clothing, right? Something had to die. There's a picture right there. There's a picture of what was going to, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God in his grace killed an animal, clothed Adam and Eve, and there's a picture of what was going to take place in the gospel, right there in the garden. Something had to die. And it, it, by God's grace, it wasn't Adam then, but he would eventually die physically. Every man born after Adam is born, dear ones, born, coming out of the womb, out of the womb, spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. How dead is dead? There's my second question. 
How dead is dead? Is it kind of dead? I mean, if we're talking, if you go to a funeral home and you walk into the casket, as everybody likes to do, and you walk back and everybody says the most goofy phrase I've ever heard in my life, look how pretty they are. And I, I want to be like, are, are you out of your mind? They're, they're dead. You know, thank God, if there's a believer, they're no longer here, and they're probably even, you know, like, I'm dead. No, but this, the situation is, deadness is dead. There's no getting up. You can yell and shout to that person, and you can even hand them a magical potion that you've developed in your lab at your house in your garage. You can give it to them and say, look, take this. All you have to do is take this, and you're going to live. What's that guy going to do? Can't even take it. You say, okay, John, I'm going to put it in your hand. All you got to do is put it in your mouth. He's not going to do it. I'm going to take it from your hand. I'm going to put it in your mouth. He's still not going to do it. Dead is dead. You cannot fix dead. We are born spiritually dead, dear ones. What has to happen for you to come to life spiritually? Jesus has to stand at the tomb of your deadness and say, Lazarus, get up. And that's exactly what Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about. Ephesians chapter 2 says that you hath he quickened, which means made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the spiritual condition of our lostness. That's what happened as being born after Adam. Now check this out. Let me really rack your brain. What happens when an infant dies? Oh, Okay, we got one, two, we just got no verbal affirmations. We just have like (laughs) straight to the presence of God in heaven, right? If an infant dies in the womb prior to birth, heaven. If an infant dies after birth, whether immediately after birth or, you know, whatever. People like to put a pin down age of like six years old, which is like nowhere in the Bible. There's, there's an age of responsibility where they begin to comprehend the unrighteousness in their mind. They, under, they begin to comprehend disobedience, whether that be 6, 12, or in the case of maybe somebody who is born with autism or Down syndrome, it could be 40, 45 years old. You know, it, it doesn't matter. But what happens when that individual dies? Let's, let's use autism. Let's say they die at 40. They've blown way past your age of accountability that everybody likes to hang on to. Where do they go? Straight in the arms of God. You say, well, how can you say that if they can't accept Christ? Now what? You see what I'm doing? I want to take your doctrine. I want to shake it. I want, to say, I want you to say, show me from the Bible why you believe that. And, and the reality is, dear ones, the same way that a little child or a 40-year-old man with autism, the same way that they're saved is the same way that you're saved. By the sovereign grace of God. That's it. And we go, oh, but I can't accept that. Well, the problem, I can, t- I can tell you this, the problem is not with God. And the problem is not with his word. The problem is with you. The reality is that God reaches in and he grabs a dead sinner and he says, you're coming with me. Isn't that a wonderful rescue operation instead of the, the well, I was just smarter than my neighbor and I chose? <laughs> What, because you're smarter than your neighbor and your neighbor just didn't have the mental capacity to reconcile the facts that Jesus is God? No, God, like the blind man in John chapter 9, you stand there and you say, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. He did it. 
That's the amazing, effectual grace of God where he reaches through the original sin that we're born with and he says, you're coming with me. Okay. I still want to preach more on that, but we've got to move on. Um, We teach, second paragraph, any questions about that? Any any thoughts? Any disagreements? I welcome disagreements. I, I do. This is what this is all about. All right. Speak now or forever hold your peace. We teach that mankind is natu- in his naturally born condition can not approach, reconcile, or cause himself to be in righteous standing before God. Man's will, his desires, and body are infected completely by original sin. Man is now born a sinner by nature and by choice by choice apart from the sovereign regenerating work of God by his spirit apart from the God man Jesus Christ no man is without sin we teach that there is none righteous apart from Christ we teach that God created mankind male and female therefore there are only two God ordained genders Oh, there's a little bit of an amen there. Okay, we had an amen. That's an amen. God created two genders. We teach that marriage has been ordained by God as the monogamous, lifelong union between one man and one woman. That's what we teach. If my daughters come to me and they want me to teach to them, teach them about marriage, that's what I'm going to teach them. And by the way, I want you to know this too, along those same lines. I have constructed this and poured hours into this. So that if I were to die tonight, you have this in your hands. That's how, that's how important this is to me. And, and by the way, I've known preachers that preached a message not knowing it was their last one. So it can happen. If, if I were to die tonight, I'd want my, I told my wife, I said, put this in my girl's hands. Have them study this. Okay, let's look at some, some scripture, okay? Just let's back this up a little bit, not with just a bunch of pastoral doctrinal data dump let's look at Galatians or excuse me Genesis chapter 2 you should know this the beginning of the Bible this is the story of creation I have placed these scripture references in biblically chronological order not necessarily time frame as in writing but just so you can find them sequentially through the Bible Genesis chapter 2 verse number 7 This is pertaining to the creation of man. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Remember that you were made from dirt and you will be dirt. That's almost a humbling way of God just reminding us like, hey, that ground that you till in your garden, I made you from that. (laughs) It's a good... See you, Alex. Have a good day at work. Thank you. Yep, see you. See you. The, um, from the dust of the ground we've been made and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man came, became a living soul same chapter look at verse 15 and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat there's the word of God there's the command of God this is the, the direction of God and yet we disobeyed that verse 16 um, 
Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a a help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. We can just pause there for a second. Notice that, one, God created man from the dust of the ground. We later study that God gave Adam a helpmate. Her name was Eve, created from the side of Adam, from the bones. This is why Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Much different than the animals that were created from the dirt. This is, this is if you study what Matthew Henry says about Eve being made from the rib of Adam, it is beautiful. We don't have time to visit that now, but it's just so beautiful. That, that under the arm, God pulled Eve from under the arm of Adam, signifying the protection that Adam has over his wife. And she is pulled from the side, which means that she is equal to him, and yet she is, she is made from man. It's just a beautiful language that uh, we just don't hear anymore. But notice also, the reason I took you to verse 20, or 19 and 20 is that man has dominion over the earth. Man is allowed to subdue the earth. We are allowed to drill for oil. We are allowed to use gasoline. As much as it drives us crazy, you're allowed to buy a diesel truck and make it smoke. You're not going to melt the earth with too much hairspray. You're, you're, we are, now there's stewardship. There is stewardship. We should be good stewards. Uh, you know, I, I love to hunt, but I'm a conservationist as hard, at heart. I think that it's good to conserve Um, what God has blessed us with. I don't think we just run amok and do whatever we want, but yet God has given man dominion over the earth. Okay, same same book, Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Can anybody tell me what that is? What that very, very important verse is? If you do not have that verse marked in your Bible, you need to mark it. This is what we call the Proto-Evangelium. The Proto-Evangelium. Can you hear the words in there? Proto, one, primary. The very first. Evangelium. What does that sound like? Evangelism. It is the first gospel. It is the first gospel it is the first message after the fall of man god in his infinite grace gives the very first gospel in genesis 3:15 saying that i will send i'll put enmity uh, between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel that's talking about jesus christ coming to crush the head of the serpent Unto the woman, verse 16, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception and sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Notice that that's a result of the fall. There is a, a desire that women, okay, I can't expound every single verse. We've got to keep moving. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground. Key emphasis on the word cursed. We take sin too lightly. It is a curse. 
We have been cursed. The earth has been cursed is the ground for thy sake and sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and dust thou shalt return. Quite clear. There is a curse that is a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. Okay. Yes, Jim. I have a note in my Bible in verse 17. It says, never listen to your wife. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Oh, you wrote it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That was in St. James. St. James. (laughs) Never, ever, ever listen to your wife. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, let's expound on the, the teachings of Jim. Uh, oh my goodness. Never listen to your wife. Guys, a word of advice don't listen to Jim Blasco. <laughs> Go to Psalm 14, the book of Psalms 14. I want you to see the magnitude of our fallenness. Because you go to churches today and they don't want to preach about sin. They don't want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about the curse and judgment and and punishment for sin. And I truly believe if we don't teach about the truth of our curse in, in, in Adam, the sinfulness that we have in Adam, inherited in Adam, the distance from God, we'll never fully understand what the cross was. It is the very curse that Jesus bore on our behalf. In Psalm 14, if you look at verses 1 through 3, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good. That's including you. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Thank goodness the seeker-sensitive movement is dying because no man seeks after God. There's been this big ploy in these church growth tactics to bring in the seeker. Look, nobody is seeking after God. It's God that does the seeking. Okay, verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. That means tainted with our sin, covered in unrighteousness. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That should sound familiar. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3 when he's summarizing the cursed condition of fallen man. Thankfully, Jesus Christ is the one that took our unrighteousness. He bore our sin, and by faith, his very righteousness is imputed to us at salvation. Okay. Excuse me, I have a question. Yes, sir. You've said we are not seeking God. I'm just going to give you a, a synopsis here. A man is down on his luck. He's lost his wife, did illness or something, his job. He does not know where to turn. He comes across Pleasant Hill on a Sunday morning. He's drawn there for a reason. Of course, yes, the Lord has his hand in it. Oh, yeah. But he is is at his wit's end. He is seeking something to relieve his anguish, his anger, his, his hurt. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. But then in the other one, I must... Why would you say man is not seeking God? Are you looking at this general natural state of not seeking God? 
So just to initial face value, Spurgeon said, if you hypothetical yourself into a situation, you have to hypothetical yourself out. So let's just take this as the scenario that you've just posed, which is a prime example of nearly every adult believer that comes to Christ. God is in control of every circumstance, every molecule in our existence. Would you agree with that? So let's say that this man doesn't lose his wife, doesn't lose his children like Job, doesn't have these situations that are pressing him down, 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 down. All that activity there is the hand of God. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No man can come to me unless the Father which is in heaven draw him. That word draw, first of all, can signifies ability. But the word draw, Jesus isn't talking about a doodle artist. That word draw means grab and drag. Now think about this. When you came to Christ, were you not down? And the only way you could look was up. That's how God does this. He takes us to the end of us. To the end of our existence where we die to self. This is what happens when God is drawing us to him. He is showing us that you think you need you when in actuality you need nothing having to do with you. You need me. And, and he forces us to look up. Now there's been circumstances. That's like whenever I came to Christ, I was sharing you, with you this testimony on a Sunday night, I think. You know, I used to sit in a church. I used to look out the window at the neighbor cutting grass. The only reason I was there was because I wanted to date a girl. And, and I couldn't date her unless I went to the church, to, to her church. So I thought I was Buffalo and everybody. I thought that I had her parents fooled, who are here right now. <laughs> and I, I thought I had her parents fooled. Uh, you know, I thought I had her fooled. I thought I had the pastor fooled. And there I am watching that black craftsman mower just out there and mowing around in the grass. And I'm just, I'm just here to see the girl. But if you trace that back, my dad had colon cancer. Her church was praying for my dad. She calls me up one day and says, hey, we've been praying for your dad. How, how's everything going? I said, hey, you want to go out on a date? And, and, and these circumstances that were all a part of that part of my life, I didn't need God. I didn't want God. I wasn't looking for God. I was looking to date the girl. And then there came a point in my life where God said, you're a fake. You're a liar. And he brought me to the end of me. Literally, I died to self. And God said, the only way you can look is not this way. It's this way. And the only way you can look is not by some contemplation out in the middle of a field. It was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why do you think I quote that to you all the time? Because that's the verse that gave me the new birth. That's the verse that called me from death unto life. And then whenever that takes place, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because you're going to die to yourself some more. You're going to live for me. So this seeker idea, yes, the man was looking for a church door. He knew that when I walk through ICU hospital units and people are knocking on death's door and they stare out those windows, I, be I beg any one of you to come with me. You walk through the ICU and you see somebody that has days left to live. They're looking at you carrying a Bible and they say, I want what's in that book. 
And they know. They know that there is one truth. There is one God. Every man born into this world knows two things. One, there is a God. Two, they will meet him. Now, whether they suppress that out of their mind and they beg to flee from that, which most people do, they hate him, they hate God, they don't want anything to do with God. They pursue self-righteousness, works, accolades. But as far as seeking after God, Pat, there is no man just unaided, just searching for God. In our original state, we're blind, we're dumb, we're deaf, we have no understanding. The Bible paints a very bleak picture for man. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Um, I hope that massive answer <laughs> sufficed the very simple question that you asked. Um, let's look at the next, next, the next verse. Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 7. <clears throat> Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Quite clear, God is the creator. I know some of you are just now getting to Isaiah. My apologies. Um, I'm going to hit the gas pedal again. We're going to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. I want to point out a very important word to you. Um, there is a term that you should become rather familiar with, especially in light of the circumstances that are portrayed on your television screen and in your newspaper 24-7, and that is the total depravity of man. That's what this is all about. The total de- I even heard a news anchor use that term the other night. She used the term total depravity. And I was like, what? <laughs> Praise be to God, you just used a biblical term. And as I said this morning, why are we surprised when the unsaved act like unsaved? Why are we surprised when sinners act like sinners? John chapter 3, Jesus in that wonderful communication conversation with Nicodemus says in John chapter 3, quite clear, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he... What's the next word? Remember... What does, what's the difference between can and may? Can is ability. May is permission. Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot, he has no ability, he is unable to see the kingdom of God. That doesn't just mean in heaven. It means now. He has no eyes to see. He, he cannot see. An unbeliever will approach the scriptures and say, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. A believer rejoices in the truth of God and wants to digest it as much as possible. Give me this book. Okay. Um, We will not look at Romans chapter 3. That's a quotation from Psalm 14. I do want to take you to these next two verses, though. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, and we're going to begin to wrap up here. I know... I smell some food back there, so something must be going on. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. I think you beat me. My pages are sticking together. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. You know, death is a testimony. A lot of people ask the question, and I was speaking to a man about the gospel on the street here in Bedford on a corner, and he was very intelligent. I mean, he was very well educated. I would, I, he had to be at definitely master's level education, very articulate. But one question stopped him in his tracks because he had an answer for everything, why he didn't believe there was a God, why the gospel is a joke, and all, the Bible is just another book and all this stuff. And I said, okay, you know, I understand where you're coming from. Those are common arguments. What do you do with death? And he just simply stopped, looked to the ground. He was an aged man. He was an older man. He said, I don't know. Death is a testimony. There's a big question. Why is there death? Why is there death? Why, is there, why do trees die? Why do birds die? Why, do man, why does man die? Why is there death? The testimony of death is that there's something wrong. Something happened that has caused death. And the reality of that testimony is that we have sinned. God is righteous. We are not. And death is the result of sin. These things are testimonies that people cannot escape. One last one, okay, guys? Um, I'll just quote to you Romans chapter 6 verse 23 is for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord Jesus Christ our Lord one last one 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we'll close here you can look at the rest uh, on your own 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 this is just to really drive this tent spike home The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned, or these men are spiritually blind. The natural man born into this world can not. He does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. It's not just an idea of aversion where he just says, no, you know, I just don't. I don't want anything like that. No, he flat out says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They think it's foolishness. They think it's silly talk to talk about a son of God, the son of God who came to be a redeemer of sinful men, who gave his life in the place of sinners in order that he would, they, he would justify many, that he would bring many into the kingdom of God, and that he would rise again from the dead. Mockers, they, they, they rejoice to hear that because they think it's so foolish. No one's ever risen from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And you cannot enter the kingdom of God without believing that he is the Savior who has risen from the dead. That's the testimony of the gospel. And in fact, you don't share the gospel until you share the resurrection of Christ, that he has defeated death. You say, why did you take us all through this big, giant, bleak cloudiness of mankind? Because man is ruined. But through Christ... Through Christ we can be made new with newness of life. Okay, our time is up. Any thoughts or questions, comments, ideas?
Did I fill in all the blanks there? I think there was only one or two. All right. So uh, I'm a little bit in the cloudiness here. I, I've got to be honest with you. I, 